Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. There are many types of Baptists, but being a Baptist once meant that you were a fundamentalist. Over the years, many Baptists have strayed from the fundamentals and thus attack those who remain true to the faith. This podcast will address the issues surrounding what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Somebody said, Brother House, fundamentalists are changing, aren't they? No, fundamentalists don't change. Folks quit being fundamentalists. God says when the troubles come, He said, fight. You can't fight. He said, withstand. You can't withstand. He said, stand. What does it mean to stand? He said, don't change. What? Don't change what? Number one, don't change what you believe. Here we will reason concerning the scriptures about the doctrines we hold dear. We believe in souls being saved, lives being changed, and Bible doctrines being strengthened by the Word of God. We believe in the local church, soul winning, missions, and everything taught in the King James Bible. I thank God tonight for this wonderful Bible. You know, I I thank God it's a perfect book, and I, I love the Bible. Doesn't need any addition, no correction, nothing taken from it. Thank God tonight for the Holy Bible. I like it just like it is. We are not ashamed of being fundamental Baptists, and we want to encourage others to remain true to the Bible, their Baptist heritage, and to not change what they have been given. You just stick with the book. You can't beat this book. Why does every generation feel that we've got to change it just a little bit because our daddy did it fast for us and our granddaddy did it like that. And let's change it just a little bit. You change it and things that are different are not the same. The same commit thou to faithful men. Thank you for joining us in our discussion of what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Hello and welcome, David Baker. Welcome to the Wisdom for Life podcast. Hey, we're glad you're here. I've got a friend with me and a guest, Pastor John Wilkerson. Brother Wilkerson, how are you? I'm doing good, and thank you for allowing me to share this time with you. Oh, thank you for being here. We just had a tour group in last night from Howells Anderson College, and we had the privilege of having them stay in our homes. So we got to uh, have pizza last night and uh, breakfast this morning and some fellowship. And Brother Wilkerson had a little time and asked if he uh, would do a podcast with us. So, Brother Wilkerson, how long have you been the pastor of First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana? Uh, we're in our ninth year. Brother Baker. Ninth year. So mm-hmm. when you were in Bible college, you had this dream from God. You knew that God was going to have you pastor that church one day. Yeah, is, is that, that right? right? <laughs> ah, no, sir. That would be the farthest thing from my mind. <laughs> Isn't it that way? I mean, I'm sure you 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 have to have come to the realization of it. But yeah, the farthest thing from your mind that way. So you went to Bible college. What was your major? What did you? I was a pastoral assistant major and I minored in or concentrated in education. In education. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the farthest thing from your mind there. Mm-hmm. So I want to go back and start earlier. So when were you saved? Uh, what kind of church you grew up in? And how old were you when you trusted Christ? Yeah, Brother Baker, I had the joy to be raised in a Christian home because of a Sunday school teacher who reached my dad out of very, uh, very difficult uh, life in Knoxville, Tennessee. He was um, his mother was an alcoholic and a Sunday school teacher that got a burden for young boys in that area. Got a classroom and he would take them to um, he would take them to um, Sunday school, teach them the Bible, then send all the other boys to big church and tap one of the boys on the shoulder and ask if he could talk to him about Christ. And he one day led my dad to the Lord, and that was obviously. Um, the trajectory that God gave me because God saved my dad first. But because I was exposed to the gospel of Christ, I, uh, as a young man, got to hear the gospel Sunday night and accepted the Lord as my Savior after mm-hmm. the service, and I'm so grateful for that. Awesome. How old were you? I was about six years old. Six years mm-hmm. old. Beautiful. Yeah. Now, um, you're from where? 
Well, my dad is from Knoxville, Tennessee, and so I, if someone asks you where you're from, I'll say Tennessee. We did, uh, my dad had, he wasn't in the military, but had happy feet, so we lived about eight different states, 17 wow. different homes, and from the time I graduated uh, from high school and from when I was born and graduated from high school, different places, but uh, but Knoxville, Tennessee is where I would say, and my mother still lives there. Beautiful, mm -hmm. beautiful. So um, how many children uh, in your in your family, how many siblings? Yeah, I have uh, I have three brothers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and have those two sisters. <laughs> Uh, Jana and Mary. When I heard that in college, for the books and I were in college at the same time, and and uh, I thought, wow, that is just perfect. Matthew, Mark, <laughs> Luke, and John. So, yeah. so um, I'm. I guess they didn't plan that, or they would have. Your day would have been Matthew, right? That's right. Just, yeah, uh, I'm named after my grandparents, John and Norman, uh, my grandfathers, and then. Uh, then Matt was next, then Mark, and then Jana, then Luke, and then Mary. Yeah, my dad my dad was proud of that. And I, quite frankly, I'm proud of it, too. My brothers serve the Lord as pastors. My sister's a missionary. My other sister teaches for Brother Sexton there at uh, Temple gonna, Baptist. I was going to ask that. That is beautiful. What a, what a heritage. Um, and so growing up with that, when I was at Bible College, I um, would ask any young guy that seemed focused, dedicated, especially if you grew up in a preacher's home, what did your parents do? Because I had a good mom and dad, but I got way away from God. And so looking back at your um, growing up and with the children, all of them serving God, what are the big things you saw that your parents did or church did that helped you guys stay on track? Well, you know, Pastor, I, I, I have to say, if you ask my dad that, he would say, well, it's the, it's the grace of God, a loud mouth dad and a very godly mother. <laughs> That's what he would say. And That's I, a good comment. <laughs> and uh, and he kept us in local churches, even though he had happy feet a little bit, moved a little bit, and and was restless. He kept us in good churches where we where we heard the word of God preached. We had yeah. great men and models of a Christianity. Um, but my dad was very strict. I mean, he he felt very strongly about certain things, and I'm very grateful. He he loved us dearly. I, I think kids need three uh, things very very much. They need affection to know they're loved. Absolutely. They need direction. Say, here's what you need to do. And then they need correction. We can't be afraid to do any of those things. But if we don't do number one, I think that uh, that the other two are kind of hard and suspect. Beautiful. And I see that in your own home, Brother Baker. I, I admire your kids. And it's obvious that you love your children. They love you. And of course, I think that's one of Satan's ploys against Christianity Amen. is to get them People that are saved, they go, they're going to heaven, but they don't trust God. They don't trust His love for them. You quoted the verse recently um, that we're more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Amen. You know, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me Amen. and gave Himself for me. And I think, you know, knowing that God loves us, and that's, and I think in a home, I, I knew that I had paternal uh, affirmation. I had paternal affection. And I think that's really been key to so many things that, that have happened in the life and times of John Wilkerson and his siblings. Amen. That's beautiful. I think so many times today people think, can you even raise good kids in today's life or in society? And obviously your parents did and you have. And, and yes, it can be done. But you, like you said, it's love. Boy, the attention, the strictness uh, to know that they care 
and um, that's a big deal. Super. Um, so you went to Bible College, and um, we had a little connection. Uh, I didn't remember you were there, but you were there. Um, but Wilkson was roommates with my brother in Bible College for a little while. So maybe you'll tell the story, uh, what you remember when um, when uh, it was before college started, sure. uh, and my brother was there, and I came. I was in the army, um, going to my next duty station, and my parents wanted me to go see my brother and visit the campus. They just knew when I walked on the campus of Hiles Anderson, I would feel the presence of God and see the pretty young, uh, godly women, and I would just know that this was God, what God wanted for me. So that was their plan. So they wanted me to go visit my brother on my way to college. So Brother Wilkinson was there when uh, when uh, I saw my brother. So what do you remember? That well, I, it was the summertime. When you walk on the campus of Hiles Anderson, a lot of things you might feel, but I'm not so sure you'd feel everything your parents <laughs> thought you'd feel. But I love that place. And I, of course, I was a summer. It was a summertime. It was hot as blazes, miserable, humid. But they had to remodel one of our dorms. So they sent us to a third floor dorm someplace. And I happened to be in there with Eric Riles and then your brother. And, and it was good. We were all busy. We were working extra jobs and things of that nature. And um, then, you know, you came in the door to see your brother. And, of course, coming out of the military and... And it was hot. It was frustrating. I think you wanted to take him someplace or go someplace. And he's like, you know, I'm not, I can't go right now. i got to check and see if I can do it. What? <laughs> and I remember you kind of saying, man, what kind of place is this? this is, I can't believe you're here, Danny. You should, what? even our barracks are better than this, you know. And boy, just, I just remember you being like, well, that guy's got a rough brother there. He, he's not going to encourage him in the things of the Lord. But then I was so happy that it seemed like it wasn't wasn't 15 months later you were in school with us. And I thought that was awesome how the Lord did that. Amazing how God can turn those hearts and lives around. <laughs> I remember the story. I remember being there with my brother. I didn't remember who else was there, but uh, it's amazing how God can get a hold of the heart and Isn't turn that, that great? around. So that's beautiful. So um, I, I don't even know the story, but they're always fun for me to, to hear. Um, how did you meet your wife? And so uh, and that connection, how did God bring your uh, wife to you? Yeah, you know, I was I was a freshman year of Bible college, and I was riding up to Chicago every day and working at UPS with John Francis, and that is my wife's brother. Mm. And uh, you know, he just John is very passionate about something, very focused on whatever God's given to do. But he was extremely passionate. He loved his bus route. I mean, I could tell him, I could see him. I'm going to run two buses this week. I'm going to run three buses on the program. He would just talk about his bus route and what God's doing. And, and I was I wasn't as passionate about my ministry as he was about his. <laughs> But uh, at the same time, I was encouraged by that. And then he would talk about his sister. He goes, oh, my sister's going to be coming to college next year, and I can't wait. She's going to be coming here. And, and boy, she's got rid of her wrong music, and she's just growing the Lord. I can't wait she comes. And, and I was just like, good, that's great. You know, that's great. Yeah. And he would talk about it again, and he would go over it again. And uh, but fast forward, that was in uh, that was in the year of eighty five, eighty six, eighty seven uh, to fall of eighty seven. I uh, eighty six. I saw him walking around with a girl, but I I thought maybe it's his girlfriend. I didn't because we didn't really cross paths except for that work time. Mm-hmm. And and uh, she was a pretty girl. I thought, well, look at her, John. And then then it kind of dawned on me. You know what? Someone either said or someone said. You know, no, that's his sister. She's coming from Massachusetts. 
I thought, well, that's great. That's wonderful. Back then, you were in the Bible clubs, but <clears throat> we were in the bus ministry, and there was Division 5, and there's Division 9. And, and I remember hearing the division leader of Division 5 saying, you know, you guys in Division 5 date girls in Division 5, and guy, girls don't go taking these dates with these other guys. It was just kind of a <laughs> petty but silly, but I knew that that was the M.O. Well, one day, John saw me. It was Christmas break. All the kids had gone home for the most part, and it was, uh, it was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I was getting ready to go to work, and I I saw him and he said, hey, John, come here. And he said, uh, would, you, would you consider dating my sister? You know, I was like, <laughs> oh. And I thought, you know, I love John, but he was a joker and, you know, teaser. And I thought, well, okay, he's trying to mess around. <laughs> but I turned, I left that and I went and saw, I went out down to the, the post office and she walked out of the po post office and I walked in and I said, I think that's his sister and she's beautiful. <laughs> but I thought, there's no way I'm going to do that. He's probably messing with me. And, and then that division leader, which I heard, uh, you know, say those things in, in, with my own ears, calls me into chapel at the end of January and says, hey, you know, I thought, you know, I think, are you dating anybody? I said, no, I said, I'm not. And he said, have you considered Linda? And I said, Linda Francis? Like that John Francis sister? He said, yeah, you got to date her. I said, okay, what's the, what's the catch? What is going on? <laughs> he said, no catch. If you ask her, she'll date you. And, I, and I, thank you, John. And that was it. You know, I thought, well, okay, that's enough. If she'll say yes, then I, I want to ask her. And that's kind of how it started. And <laughs> I am so grateful that I just kind of followed around the campus until she caught me, and I was glad for that. That's beautiful. <laughs> love, love hearing those stories. And uh, I don't know, for guys, uh, we were talking about it last night with my wife. I didn't know that she liked me. Well, growing up, I never asked a girl out unless I knew she liked me because no guy wants to get shot Rejected, down. Yeah. And, um, and so that was safe. Like, if you ask her, she'll, okay, good, that's safe. I don't want to get shot down. So you guys been married now how long? Yeah, we've been married for almost 33 years and uh, got married in 1989. So Beautiful. thankful for that. Yeah, it's just, uh, she's been a precious, precious wife. And I'm just so grateful that God would uh, be so kind to me. And Amen. I know that uh, no one deserves more honor than those who walk alone with God, single people that just keep serving Christ. I admire right. them. I'm just kind of glad I'm not one of them right now. I'm Amen. glad that I had the joy to have the uh, favor of God to get a, to have life with Linda. And uh, like you, just enjoy serving Christ. She's very, she's a Proverbs 31 woman that Amen. I've been blessed with and started out as a school teacher, you know, teaching 11 years in a Christian school. And she was just faithful right along there. And God had given us uh, four children. And then in, in, at the age of 32, I was asked to pastor a church. And that means she became a pastor's wife and <laughs> just been a great, uh, a great source of encouragement, help and Awesome. And I'm so humbled to serve God with her. Beautiful. So how many children now do you have? Yeah, the Lord gave us nine children. All of them are girls except for seven. And uh, <laughs> so we, we have seven boys and two girls, and we love them and very grateful. And, and uh, our oldest son um, would uh, has been living with the Lord now for the last uh, 14 years or so. And uh, certainly a very painful time in our life, but uh, yeah. one that we saw God's hand a grace. You know, God knows what it's like to lose a son, and he knew how to help us, and he has helped us. And and uh, I think to every life, some difficulties are going to fall, and, right. and, you know, God knows how to help us through those times. He doesn't usually transition us out of problems. He transforms us through them when we humble ourselves and let him do it. You know? Absolutely. You've experienced those things, and I have I was going to ask you that. So what happened to your son, and mm -hmm. like you said, how... What are the biggest truths that God helped you and your wife with through that and your family? Because being that's your oldest son, correct? Yes. So, uh -huh. and not just boy, the devastation. 
for mom and dad, but just to all the other kids too. How, sure. What did God do? How did he it was help? a very traumatic thing. He had worked at a, a summer camp for that summer, and then he came back, and our assistant pastor said, "Hey, can I get Tyler to help me for the junior camp?" Mm-hmm. And I thought, "Well, okay, that means I, another week I won't get to see him, you know." But he went off with our juniors. Linda was asked to be the camp cook, so God was so gracious to Linda to give her a whole week, oh. uh, and she kept giving him extra food, just the mamas <laughs> would do, you know, and just spoiled him. We missed him all summer long, and so he was back and. And uh, he had got back, he had cleaned the bus with his brother, and then, and then the, the night before he passed away, uh, we, had a, we had a little nine-foot in-ground pool in the back of our little home there in, in uh, Long Beach, and, and the Lord just gave it to us. But he said, hey, Mom and Dad, I was reading a book, Linda was, uh, Linda was doing something, and he said, hey, guys, come out and watch me swim. I've been swimming at the camp, and I want, you, I want to show you my dives. And it was the year where Michael Phelps was winning all the... Uh, yeah. Uh, different uh, swim things and so he certainly did he went on one in the deep end he dove in and we turned the light on in the pool and just watched his long six foot four inch body swim back and forth mm-hmm. across there and he said was that a was that a six a nine what kind of dive was that you know and we would lean over the lattice work and just talk and just oh, our hearts were just but we had no idea that um, really 27 hours from that very moment he would be living with the Lord Jesus. But the next day, I was leading a couple to Christ, uh, Glenn and Tracy Gaskin, and they were getting saved. My phone was lighting up, and I saw it was my son, but we're right in the middle of the gospel presentation, so I just kept on going, and Glenn and Tracy accepted the Lord as their Savior. And I said, excuse me just for a second, let me check with my son. He's trying to get a hold of me. And he said, Dad, my... He said, our friend is going to move his sister up to the Bay Area. They have tickets to the San Francisco 49er uh, Packers game. It's preseason, and mm. we, can go to, we can go to there. We'll go to church with Brother Treber and come back. And, and uh, Dad, could I go? I really kind of want to go. And what do you think? And he was very compliant. If I said, sure. I think if I said no, he said, oh, okay, all right, you know, okay, you sure? You know, but he wanted to go. But I, I looked at my calendar. I had, a, I had a meeting that night. I had something to do the next morning, and a wedding, and I, or something was going on. It wasn't a wedding, but there was some kind of activity. And so I said, oh, okay, you know, do it. And boy, he was happy. He was paying his brothers and sisters to shine his shoes and get things to going and went down to the ATM, took some money out and, and uh, took off and everything was fine. Linda told me he was just so happy, man. He was happy to go and, and everybody was fine. They did some things before they left with his siblings and the Lord just put all that together. But uh, anyway, about 11.25 that evening, um, our phone lit up. It was just real quickly. It was a. It was a. It was his phone, mm. and we went to answer it, and it was no answer. But he would have called and said good night, but thought maybe we were sleeping or something. And mm. so it wasn't until late that night, about two thirty nine, we got a call from the San Jose coroner's office that he had. Uh, he was a passenger, had a seatbelt on, going down a hill. A lady was on on, a, on the side of the road arguing with her boyfriend on the phone, and just in frustration, threw the phone down and pulled out and. They, my son saw, and, and the driver was driving, the man in the back was in the back, there were three people, then another car behind them with a lot of luggage and things, and, and they, uh, they said, we're going to go around her, go around her, go around the car, and they, and they did, but she just pulled out, and then she just changed her mind and did a U-turn as they were pulling out, hit the back of the car, went ricocheted up on the hill, flipped over, and at the, at the conclusion, it was, all, it was on its tires, but 
but uh, the driver was fine, the man in the back was uninjured, but uh, Tyler had broken in the accident somehow, uh, even though he had seat belt stretches and all that, it broke his ribs, and one on his right side that went into his lung, the other one in his heart, and and uh, the lady behind us was a nurse, they instantly started CPR, uh, an ambulance un uncalled for, it pulled over, went, shocked him, tried to get him back to life, and an helicopter was en route to take him, and they called back and said, and so unfortunately he's gone, and the coroner explained some of those things to me, and just said, I'm sorry that your son sustained fatal injuries. And I just, uh, I thought I was going to die. I, I, brother, oh, brother Baker, I just, my I heart just, fathom. my heart just, just sunk. And Linda, was, we're holding each other in the middle of the, our hallway. And, uh, but I do remember, I remember vividly just the thought. And one was that God knows what it's like to go through this. He mm -hmm. lost a son. Now our son was a sinner and needed to be saved. And thank yeah. God he got saved on his 10th birthday. Yeah. Uh, however, um, I also thought, Lord, he's, he's belonged to you from the beginning. The yeah. children are a heritage of the Lord, you know. And if I owned a restaurant or the owner owned a restaurant or a managed restaurant and he didn't want the cappuccino machine in there, then that means i got to make money without cappuccino. <laughs> i just got to figure out, this is the Lord's doing and, and we'll need to accept it sooner than later. Linda and I cried. We prayed. And then we got showered and sat around there. It was 2.39, so we didn't want to call someone else and wake them up in the middle of the night and tell them. So we just kind of sat with our, our sadness, and we went to the Scriptures. And that night I found a verse of Scripture that I had heard in a previous, maybe two or three weeks prior to that, someone preached, Our God is in the heavens. He has done whatsoever he hath pleased. That's in Psalms 115. And then 116, the Lord is gracious. He's good. He's plenteous in mercy and precious in the sight of the Lord, the death of his saints. Yeah. And uh, with hearing that, Brother Baker, I just thought to myself, uh, God, this is your, this is your, this is your doing. You, you don't, all death is caused by sin, and whether whose ever sin it is, you know, yeah. it doesn't matter. But God knows how to draw a straight line with a crooked stick. He knows how to make things that are very painful, very blessed, and yeah. I wouldn't sit in here and be talking to you today, not about this thing or about anything, probably, were that not happened. I wouldn't have the joy to share ministry with the precious people of First Baptist Church of Hammond. Mm -hmm. In the long and short of things, God has used that very painful time of our life that wasn't uh, not painful for Tyler. He's fine. Yeah. And his life and his legacy. I got a letter just the other day from a missionary in, in Brazil, and they were talking to a 17-year-old boy. His name was his name is Allison. It sounds like a girl's name, but... Mm -hmm. And he was like saying, you know, I'm going to live a long time. I don't have to worry about that right now. And and he said, can I tell you a story about my friend? And they wow. told him. And he said, you know, I told him that. It, it didn't get him saved. What it did do is opened his heart to hear the gospel. And that's what got him saved. Wow. And he came to know Christ as Savior. They sent me a picture and said, Amen. hey, Tyler's story, again, was used of God to bring about the gospel presentation. And so those things happen, and, and uh, I've have had the joy since that time to talk to scores of people. When someone loses a loved one, it's oftentimes my phone rings, Absolutely. and I said, "Could you, or Linda? Can you talk to this lady? Can you talk to this couple? Can you go see them? Could you give them have a sweet friend up in Alaska who uh, had their little boy, precious little boy, but he died of a crib death, and mm. they went laid him down for a nap and came yeah. back and get him. He was gone, and and I've been able to talk to them. We walked them through some of the things that we learned. And that God doesn't know us anything, yeah. but uh, he does do all things well. And I can say that looking through the rearview mirror of life. Amen. 
It's amazing. And could you imagine without the grace of God, without the no. scriptures, without the Holy Spirit to comfort? No. You know, it really makes you look at the world and um, the things that they're going to go through too without the Lord, how desperately people need the Lord. And, and sometimes people go through what you went through and they get bitter about it. And why did God do that to me? You know, instead of seeing that God has a purpose and a plan, like you said, they're his children. We give them back to God. Tyler's doing great today. Um, but it's amazing that people say, that's not fair. I don't deserve to go through that. What really isn't fair is what Jesus went through for us. The whole crux of Christianity is somebody who didn't deserve it went through something bad in order to help somebody else. So is it a wrong thing for God to allow us to go through something that will hurt us in order so we can take that comfort and use it to comfort someone oh, else? Sure. And um, I think if people could realize that every bad thing that someone has been through in their life, God wants to use it to be able to help somebody else. My parents lost their first child. She was two. Her name was Debbie. She had a heart defect, went mm. in for surgery. They didn't make it out. I didn't know her, but I've seen my mom and dad through the years help people when they've lost a child, oh, help them great. through that. And uh, I can't fathom every time one of my children were turned two, I would just for a little bit put on my parents' shoes mm. and you jump out real quick. Sure. Because, boy, it's definitely not something that you want to be able to go through like they did, but how God can take it and use it. And what a wonderful union heaven's going to be. Amen. For Tyler and my sister and all. So beautiful. Thank you for being able to share that. I know that there'll be people that will hear this. It'll be a help and comfort to them. Now, your life verse of Romans 8, 28. And we know we don't have to wonder or yeah. think. We can be confident that everything that God does can work together for good in the life yeah. of a child of God. If we'll love him and be committed to his purposes. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, it affects us adversely, but we can fall in love with the, with the hurt, and and the and rather than we can fight and and try right. to find who to blame, yeah, I think we learn, learn to accept and then entrust the Lord. You know, I love what Mary said when she found out that she's going to carry the Christ child. What a great privilege! Mm. But a but the but as Simeon told her, he said, a sword and it's going to pierce. This is not going to be yeah. a beautiful. Everything would be living in Egypt, Nazareth. The disdain, the thought that she was a, even as an adult, they called him the son of a, the son of a, of a, right. of an illegitimate pregnancy, you know, and, and then watching her son suffer on the cross. But yeah. she said, be it unto me according to thy word. And I think sometimes we need to get, go real quickly and fast track to be it unto me. I'll accept what That's God good. has brought to us. That's good. Beautiful. So ministry after Bible college, um, take us through the path where God led you in mm -hmm. school, teaching, pastoring. I know you mentioned that. What's that path? Yeah. I, you know, I, when I went to Howell's in College, Brother Baker, I, one thing, I remember standing in the registration line, the people were being asked ahead of me, what's your major, what's your major? And I was a country bumpkin. All I knew is I had $675 to hand to someone today. <laughs> I didn't look at the catalog to know what a major would be. But I, I kind of just let other people go in front of me and ask the guy beside me, what's your major? He said, oh, pastoral theology. I said, okay, what does that, what's that mean to you? What does that mean? What's that, what happens when you take that degree? He goes, oh, what's that mean? I'm going to preach, brother. i got a preacher. I'll die, you know? And I was like, I said to myself, I think I'd rather die than preach. I don't, I don't think that's what I'm going to be doing, you know? And, but I found a guy, and he said, I'm taking this a pastoral assistant program, and I'm just going to help my pastor. And one thing that I had had my entire life was good pastors. And I had a great admiration for them. And I knew there was two positions open in Christianity, either pastor or help your pastor. And I wanted to be that number two group. I wanted to help them. 
And so that, that resonated with me. But when I went to the table and I told them, I'll take that pastoral assistant program, you know. And, and she said, well, what's your concentration? I said, what? <laughs> she said, you got to pick youth or education or music. And so I took education. And that decision kind of put me in a classroom. I taught at City Baptist for fifth and sixth grade for one wow. year. And then I was asked to go to Long Beach, California and stayed there from 90 to 93 and then the Lord just really got kind of kicking and screaming. I, everything wasn't perfect in Long Beach, but I just I just moved my whole life. So I thought I would just go someplace Absolutely. and stay. And the Lord took me to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where I became a, a school principal and oversaw a school. It was started out kind of rough. We had like 40, 46 kids there. And then over seven years, it grew to about 230, wow. 240 kids and just a sweet memories there, yeah. learning how to organize, getting my master's degree and graduate work and things of that nature and and um, having four of our children, we had three more children, Tyler was born in Long Beach and then uh, the other three were born there in Baton Rouge mm -hmm. and then the Lord, uh, I had only preached like seven times in my adult life <laughs> in a church service and three of the times I think I was sick and about wanted to throw up and I'm sure the other four times the audience was sick and wanted to throw up <laughs> but it was nerve wracking and I just couldn't imagine doing this every three times a week and I didn't know about chapels and weddings and funerals <laughs> and all that stuff but anyway I was I was approached by the deacon at First Baptist Church they'd been without a pastor for 11 months at that time would be 13 months before I came there and so there was a difficult season mm. in that uh, in that historic church it was a flagship of the American Baptist Convention until eight, 1983 and wow. but continued on to be a great soul winning station but it had it had taken really a gut punch, and so I came 32 years old, and really people were patient, and and I was just you know just uh, just trying to slug it out. But the Lord was gracious, and in, in the darker the night, the brighter the light. Inner city work, God just saved people, and I worked along with Brother Louis Parada and Brother you you let's see, Young Mu Kim was the was the Korean pastor's name, and we just all worked together and. The Lord just kind of made a mess, a miracle, and then wow. in 2013, I was uh, actually 2012. Uh, the church was just, we just, it was just home. That's all it was. But there was about 2,000 of us that would darken the door wow. uh, on, a, you know, a Sunday morning at nine and and uh, till till two or three o'clock in the afternoon. We'd have services throughout the time, kind of revolving door. Mm. Just a great group of people. But uh, one day, right after Christmas, I got a, my my uh, my um, iPhone lit up, and it was a Monday morning. I was writing visitor letters. I looked over there, and it said, "This is Brother Terry Duff. I'm the chairman of the Deacon Board, First Baptist Church of Hammond, requesting an opportunity to speak to you by phone this morning. Would you be available?" And I just I didn't hardly I just I knew that that wasn't it wasn't in my paradigm. You know, it wasn't it wasn't something I I wanted something I and I remember going and. Um, giving my notes to the secretary and then driving out in the car. And I told him I, I could be available at 10.15 my time, 12.15 his time. And I sat in, the, in a park where I sat there many times and studied the scriptures and and uh, and uh, tried to prepare for messages. And, and I just sat there and waited for the phone to ring. And, and uh, he called me and he told me his story and told me kind of what was going on. And, and he said, but Willie Wilkerson, last night you were, you're on our last we have, our list is down from 41 down to one, and we feel like God wants you to consider being our pastor. What wow. do you think? And uh, <laughs> I, I remember thinking, I don't want to tell you yes, and that's when I told him. I said, yeah. I, I really don't want to tell you yes because I, 
not that I don't care about you or your church or your issues there. I mean, I've got my training there. I'm very grateful for that. But but I, I want to stay here. If I have my choice, I, I feel like I have, um, I want to be here. I never dreamed I'd pastor a church, but I'm living a dream. And uh, But I don't want to tell you yes, but I don't think I can tell you no. Yeah. I feel like this is something God has probably brought to me, and I need to evaluate it. And, right. And so that's that's kind of the story, and it came and and uh, went through some other challenges, but nothing that you know. God loves His church, mm-hmm. and uh, the church is the Lord's. Absolutely. And I, I think sometimes we fail to understand the stewardship of right. ministry. That it's His. We're His. Our health is His. Our children, our family, Absolutely. and certainly the church is the Lord's. So many times people think it's my ministry, you oh. know, and uh, the dangers of that. You know, it's uh, it's not. It's His. There's so many things I've preached. Like God, I don't. Please don't. No, I don't want to preach that. And you just know that well. That's what God wants. And. And after the other side of it, it's amazing what God did with that. And just miracle after miracle, like, okay, Lord, it's your church. Uh, I'll preach what you want me to. And it's amazing how God will take and use that. And it's interesting how God prepares us to take the church of Long Beach after a tough time they had gone through and love and heal and work through all that. And then God let you do the same thing in Hammond. Uh, It's amazing so many times the hard times God allows to go through. We don't realize that is preparation for future that he has. So, so amazing. So, um, how's Anderson College? Want to talk a little about that. So, uh, being the chancellor now of that, uh, what is your goal? What is your vision for them? What do you want them to get when they go through Howells Anderson College? I know that's a gigantic question, but those main principles or those main things that you feel like, you know, if we have for four years, if we could help them with these things, I feel like we would be successful. Well, thank you, Pastor. Um, obviously, Howells Anderson start, started in 1972. Brother Howells was at First Baptist Church um, for 13 years when God laid him on his heart to do that. In 72, he started the church. And I had the joy to come in 13 years later as an, as an 18-year-old freshman. And, uh, you know, Howells Anderson College has its problems. It's had its problems. Anytime you have human beings, you're going to have problems. Absolutely. But I'm very thankful that there are some some principles, I think, that have been cherished. And one of those is, is reaching people with the gospel of Christ, Amen. trying to seek the Holy Spirit's fullness. These are things I feel like that if I didn't learn anything when I was young and dumb, yeah. I, learned, I learned a little bit about that, that people matter, yeah. loving God's people, winning the loss, um, trying to have the Holy Spirit's help in everything we did. Those are things... You know, taking God off trial. These are just some things that I just remember that really shaped my life and helped me. And the biggest room of that college is certainly not the auditorium. It's a room for improvement. Mm-hmm. And and uh, But when you look at a college or any institution, you evaluate what is their philosophy? Who are the people that are educating? Who are the people that are influencing? You know, what's the program? And then, you know, let's talk about the property. Where's it, where's it held and what's going on? And well, the kids will be safe and things right. of that nature. But I think it needs to start with a philosophy, a biblical philosophy. And um, I had the joy to teach college at Pacific Baptist College over in Pomona and also Golden State Baptist College, both places. I do believe it was training. I don't even know why they'd ask me to do it. They asked me to teach on pastorology, and I was like, I've only been a pastor for a year and a half. You need to get somebody else to do this, you know. And they said, no, we would like for you to do it. And God did it so I could learn some things about pastoring people. And, um, but I remember sitting on the platform one day, Brother Baker, and I, and I saw, 
I saw the precious lives and the potential that was that was on in the, on the college. And of course, it's not as large as it used to be. And at its peak, it was 1,800 kids in in 1984 that were there on that campus receiving education. Mm-hmm. Now there's 400, and I just I just looked at them and I just thought to myself, what what would the Lord Jesus tried to accomplish here. Mm. And the Lord directed my heart to 1 Timothy chapter 3, where it, it was Paul who was in house arrest, who believe in Rome, and, and he's trying to get Timothy, he wants to get where he is, and, and he says, are you come where I am? And second Timothy will tell him, you know, do your diligence to come quickly to me. But he says, you know, I, want, I don't know when I'm going to get out of here, but he says, if I tarry long, that you will know how to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of a living God, the pillar and ground of truth. And you asked me a question, what are we trying to accomplish in the four years? And of course, there's there's multiple majors sure. and, and hundreds of classes. And um, But in my mind, I thought, you know what, what are we trying to accomplish? Because we one thing we get at Howells Anderson College, in my opinion, we get a very good raw product. <laughs> we get really good kids. They really come. You know, we have some yin-yangs in there, just like uh, I was when I came, you know. <laughs> and we have some goof-offs. But boy, as a general rule, we get really good kids who are there because they want to be there. Okay. And that's, we're an advantage in that way. Yeah. But number two, I feel like, okay, what are we trying to accomplish? Number one, I, I looked at the book of First Timothy, and I see those six principles. And I, you may study it, and other people would see it differently. But I just see chapter one, he challenged them, keep your doctrine clean, sound. Hygiene, I think, is the word for sound. It's clean. Keep it clean. Yeah. And don't swerve. Because if you swerve, someone's going to have a shipwreck, and you're going to hurt a lot Absolutely. more people. Because doctrine determines destiny. Absolutely. Chapter 2, he says, well, I would that first of all that you make prayers and intercession, supplication, giving thanks to be made for all men. Make it a priority. Make your walk with God focal point or preeminent. Amen. And we, can, we have a lot of work to do in that. I have a lot of work to do that personally, but I think also our faculty, our staff, our students. But we want to make prayer and our walk with God a priority because really, Amen. you know, it's our private time alone that gives us power to publicly do what God wants us to do for Amen. the long haul. Chapter 3 is the qualifications of deacons and pastors. and um, But deacons and pastors, uh, pastoring the people and, over, and helping your pastor pastor people, those are people that, how do they get there? Well, first, they have to be one for mm-hmm. Christ. They have to be told the gospel. Right. They have to be discipled and developed. And then from the, from the disciple, God develops leaders. And so I, I would say that we have to spiritually reproduce, trying to teach young people to win, the lost, disciple the saved. And that's not a it's not a walk in the park. Right? Right. I, I struggle with that. I go through dry spells sometimes like, all right, come on, Wilkerson. You got to, yeah. Lord, give me somebody today and tomorrow and help me to develop. And sometimes they come with setbacks because right. um, it's easier to have a baby than it is to raise one, you know. And, and trying to, to win people to Christ is one thing. Trying to develop them into great uh, servants of Christ and love for Christ is another thing. Absolutely. But those are the first three. And then the last four quickly would be, and I thank you for giving me the time to explain Absolutely. this. Absolutely, I love it. Chapter four, he says, I want you to let no man despise your youth. Timothy, while you're young, and you're going you're gonna to behave yourself in the house of God, you've got to elevate your example in word and conversation. You've got to give yourself to doctrine. You've got to take heed to yourself. You've got to give yourself to reading. And he tells them, you, because our sermon whisper, but our life shouts. And then uh, chapter five, he talks about the treatment of God's people. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like that's been an error 
sometimes we just, we heard Brother Hiles say years ago, you know, you want to use your work to build your people, not mm -hmm. your people to build your work. And and I think I've been guilty of, of falling into pitfalls from time to time. But I think Paul was trying to tell Timothy, Timothy, remember relationships come with responsibilities. You're older men, like okay. your dad. If you're not going to be a good son, you're probably going to struggle with the older men of your church. If you're not a good son to your mom, mm. you're probably going to struggle. Your, your sisters, your brothers, the, the elderly in your life. And That's then good. pastors, elders, those that rule well, give them worthy of double honor. And then he tells us that other men's sins will be, uh, some people you know they're a bad dude from just listening to them talk for a few moments. And mm. Other people sin, they follow after. They come later on, and you're like disappointed when that happens. But you're going to have to monitor your relationships. And then chapter 6, he said, I want you to manage finances with wisdom. And I think that starts out with working diligently, um, associating carefully, because who you listen to yeah, is going to affect your, 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 your trajectory and your destiny. And then live contentedly and then give generously. So those six principles, sound doctrine, prayer and your walk with God, spiritually reproduce, be a good example, treat people with uh, with godly respect and, and responsibilities, and then manage finances with wisdom. So that those are I, I don't I don't think we've got it all down pat, but but that is something I, I probably reproduce to a point of nauseam I've been accused of sometimes. <laughs> because I want I want them to get it. If I could look really? at a graduate and say, I feel like they're not enamored with false doctrine. Yeah. They love God genuinely. Yeah, they have a walk with God. They're reproducing. They got a good testimony. I admire their testimony. They treat people with respect, and and they've got some money and savings, and they're giving generously, and they work hard. I feel like we, they can leave college with those things and be a good husband. They could be a good wife. Right. They could be a good staff member, a good school teacher, a good missionary, if they have those core core qualities. Yeah, that's beautiful. First time I heard you teach that, and thought it was great, beautiful. The balance of this life in ministry is such a big deal. And I love hearing it taught that you're never in perfect balance. Um, that tightrope guy is the balance sure. and he's always readjusting. And so, you know, this week you're spending more time with ministry than family. You're away from your family. So you get back, you're going to be more overbalanced, spending time with family to catch up and not as much ministry. And it's a constant state of, of trying to readjust to get that balance. But I think that's what we're supposed to do. And that those six principles are the balance of all of that. It's not just to be hermit and go on a mountain and just spend time with God and walk with God, but not help anybody. You sure. know, um, or any one of those things you could see, someone could go to seed on um, and not do the other. So their doctrine is so straight and right, and they rip everybody that doesn't have <laughs> everything exactly the way they do, and they're not helping anybody. But yeah. their doctrine's straight. It's clean, you know. So the balance of that to be able to do all of those things is, is such a big deal and mm -hmm. and to, to help those young people you know my children your children the the students you're teaching in college to have that balance when they get out uh, I, I think that's that's such a big deal of where it is yeah you pray for us about that pastor yeah. Baker and anyone listening if you would uh, be so gracious I think we can n never be more more Christ-like when we intercede for somebody yeah. and Absolutely. if you could intercede for us that God would help us be successful to do what he wants done beautiful it's his college um, last question and this is super broad and and uh, I never, I didn't grow up in Independent Baptist and never felt like it was my job to 
to worry about a movement. It's personally me, my marriage, my children, my church, um, and things there. Um, and this podcast is sort of there to try to help some of that as we see <clears throat> people in those areas go a wrong direction with doctrine and things like that. You do travel. You get students from all over. Um, as a movement, if it's okay to ask that, how do you see this going? You see some people stray, realize, hey, that's not it. I need to come back. You still see more people straying. When you travel, because you see, where do you where do you feel? A, I know you never wanted to be ahead of a movement, but because you're the pastor of First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana, there is some of that that comes mm-hmm. with that. Um, what do you what do you think, and how would you see me? Yeah, I don't see myself as a great leader. I don't think I can get my shadow to follow me very well. <laughs> but uh, at the same time, I I think there's a I feel like there's pockets, and I probably don't think it's any different than it's always been. You know, mm-hmm. some would think, oh, it's, it was much better back in the... And yeah. and certainly, um, God's Spirit moves in waves and things that, you know, you can't hear, you can't you can, can't see the wind. You mm-hmm. see the effect of the wind. Right. But, Pastor, I would say that I, I think a lot of times I just get so very encouraged to see people stand by the stuff, Amen. doing what God wants them to do, punching holes in the darkness with the gospel of Christ, doing the right thing, I think, um, but then I'm grieved when I see people just grab hold of a greasy pole, and they yeah. just do not, there's no <laughs> stopping, you know, they just seem like it's just one little compromise after, and they and they don't, they, they justify, oh no, it's not the big deal, it's not the big deal, but boy, a lot of those not big deals become big deals, you yeah. know, and I just see the, the end result of that, and it grieves me, it, it saddens me, I know that, um, to his own master, lame stand or fall, but you certainly see the right. collateral damage of compromise. And, uh, and I know we're not going to always cross our T's sure. and dot our I's exactly the same. But I think also that God is a good God and he's doing some things in a wonderful way. Yeah. We need to really get on page with him. When I, you've had this happen because you have 11 children. But when our kids were little, I, I see your your wife uh, puts the, the, the uh, shoes by the door there, you know, because you're kind of trying to keep things nice. Our wife, did, my wife did the same thing. And so whenever it's time to go someplace, you know, I'd go get my shoes and sit down and put my shoes on. And my little guys... They couldn't even talk yet, hardly, but they just come up and they start scurrying around trying to find their shoes. And they come to me and they say, I go, I go. <laughs> and I was like, where am I going? And, you know, they don't care. All they know is dad has money. They don't have money. Dad can drive. They can't drive. Uh, dad can get them out of this boring house and go out and see the big wide world. And he'll probably stop by a 7-Eleven or a Duck and Donut or something. And they're going to be happy. And I think... Um, I would just encourage people to stay close to the Lord, stay true, never get bored with the basics. I think sometimes we just, That's good. you know, Apostle Paul told Timothy, he said, Timothy, look, if you'll put the brethren in remembrance of these things, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ. You know, reminding us, never be afraid to state the obvious. It's the obvious what many of us have forgotten, you know. And I think many folks get bored. They want new things. They That's want it. new ideas, new things. And I think... Uh, Christianity is as old as, as God is. And I think that it's there is there's just great joy. And you talk about the book of Proverbs, the repetition that you right. see there. And I think we just repeat. We just repeat and repeat uh, some of the basic truths. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll be glad we'll be glad to do that when we stand before God one day. Amen. 
It's amazing, like you said, people are looking for some new thing. Uh, the problem is there's nothing new under the sun, so if it's some new thing that no one's ever heard before, it's probably error. Um, and like you said, where they're going to end up at, you know, where, they, where that greasy pole, they're going to wake up. And, and I'm not mad at them. I hurt for them because I came out of that. I came out of a very liberal uh, church, and uh, youth directors bought alcohol and gave it to the teenagers in our youth activity, and the night got worse from there. And I know the destruction and the devastation that happened in my life. And boy, if God had not used a, a good independent Baptist church in my family's life to pull them out, they started praying for me to be able to pull me out. Um, Joe Esposito was a missionary on deputation. He went to my parents' house um, on deputation. He stayed in my old room and they brought up their son in the army and he said, I know a good church at Fort Bragg. I'll have them go visit your son. And so Joe Esposito was, uh, humanly speaking, a small world that God used to be able to get me in a good church at Fort Bragg. And I look and it's scary. Where would my life be if I had not had a good, solid, foundational, doctrinal, independent at Baptist Church and be able to help and pull me out of that. So I grieve watching so many people head that direction, knowing what it's going to mean for them and their family and their life, and mostly in eternity where we have to kneel and one day give an account of our life to him. Sure. And the loss of rewards, what we could have had just being faithful and serving, where Peter said to bring those things in remembrance. You know, sure. remind the things that you said, those same teaching and doctrine. And when you do them, they're fun, they're exciting. Helping people, winning people to Christ, changing their life. It is never a dull moment. I, I love the thrill of life. I jumped out of airplanes, and that's, that's the way I live. And I thought being a preacher would be such a boring, miserable life. Guess what? It has not been boring and not been miserable. The excitement and joy of serving God and helping people, there's just nothing nothing bigger than that. I agree. I, I agree. And I, I appreciate that. I I love I love serving Christ and I love trying to live a pure, holy life at the Amen. same time. And uh, I don't want, you know, the Bible says we're supposed to, if we have a love relationship with the Word of God, I think it's obvious in James. He says, number one, mm. you're going to be bridling your speech. You're going yep. to watch what you say. Yep. Number two, you're going to be benevolent in your spirit. You're going to learn to find help to, to people that are hurting, whether it be widows and, and the fatherless in their affliction. Absolutely. And then you're going to be blameless in your separation. You're going to be unspotted from the world. And we live in the world, but we don't want the world in us. And God doesn't want that because he loves us. Not, it's not, his commandments are not grievous. You know, they're good. And I have found that to be Beautiful. the case. When I've given God a little bit of obedience, he has blessed me a lot. And I want to pass that on awesome. to everyone that would be listening or everyone who would, uh, I would care about. I want them to be, I want them to take the high road of holiness because it's, awesome. it's going to land up in a, in a glad I did and not wish I would have. Amen. And thank you so much for being willing to come on and let me interview you for this. And uh, and uh, he won't put a plug in, but I will if you have a young person and uh, wondering what God has for them. Um, to give uh, Hal Anderson a chance, we um, have two of our children that were there last year, another one that's coming this year. And like Brother Wilkerson said, no place is perfect. Hal Anderson wasn't when I was there. And uh, he said the biggest room is room for improvement. But we've been very pleased. The teachers, the heart, the care, um, the love, the things that we tried to instill in our children, it's being backed up there. And, and that's what we want, um, to send someone to a college where there's going to change everything. That's not what we're looking for. We want to, to build onto what the foundation that we laid 
with the Bible, and so that will keep on going in their life, and we've seen that. Thank and, you uh, for your encouragement. They come back, they love us, they love God, they want to serve God. One of my sons is touring for the college this summer. The other one is going to be a camp counselor at uh, Indian Creek Baptist Camp, and so uh, they want to serve God and help people, which is what this is all about. That's so, awesome. Thank you again. Any uh, final words, closing? No, I just thank you very much, and may uh, God bless you. Thank you very much, Pastor. Awesome. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. If you have any questions, you can email us at thefundamentalbaptistpodcast at gmail.com.